Well, good morning. Happy Easter. No, oh, really? Happy Easter. And you might be thinking this morning, hey, pastor, you're getting your days mixed up. But really, I really do want to mean to greet you with Happy Easter. Um, you might be done with Easter egg hunts and uh, Easter Sunday service. Uh, you may have put away your fancy new shirt. I mean, you know, I still got my Actually, in continuation of Easter, I have uh, this new Aloha shirt from Ross, Dress for Less. Um, my mom bought it for me with a Kupuna discount. Um, you might have your Easter bunny decorations, and you might be even pow with hanging out with your favorite peeps. Yeah, pun intended, you know, peeps, the marshmallow things. Anyways, and uh, e but Easter isn't over, at least for millions and millions of people, for hundreds and hundreds of years christians throughout history and all over the world today one week after easter are still continuing the celebration of easter i mean allow me to explain you know as a kid growing up i thought easter was like a one day affair it's like one and done and i liked it just fine you know i dressed up with new clothes for church you sing joyful songs uh, during worship you do an easter egg hunt you look forward to all those things and it was one day right it was done uh, and for most people it seems like uh, Christmas is like a season right it's like at least 30 days or months uh, how many of you guys um, put up you know the day after Thanksgiving you put up your Christmas lights right that hey it's this Christmas uh, season but uh, really Easter we limit it to a day like Easter Sunday in a minute, we're going to discuss a little bit uh, this season of Easter uh, as we go through uh, Christian liturgy or the church calendar. But we're going to open our brand new series today. We're going to launch it called Resurrection Life. And we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 30, 24, verse 13. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. And we're going to talk about the resurrection relationships and community resurrection relationships and community luke chapter 24 we'll read from verse 13 and we'll read from the esv version and it says this that very day two of them were going to a village named emmaus about seven miles from jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all, these, all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. This is the word of the Lord, so let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life, Lord. In you we live, we have our being. And so, Lord, I pray, God, as we live out the resurrection life, as we live out of what it means to 
uh, follow and worship a resurrected Savior, that we might live, that we might practice resurrection life. Lord, the things that mattered to you after your resurrection, that it would matter to us. The things that you prioritize, the things you were intentional about, Lord, that we would follow you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live um, in resurrection power and we would live in resurrection life, oh Lord God, under the uh, anointing and the might of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open our eyes this morning that we would see wonderful things from your law, just as you did to these two gentlemen, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you follow church calendar, you'll realize that we are an interesting time in the church calendar year. We're in a season called Easter Tide. Two words, Easter and Tide. It's a tide of celebrating what Easter is all about. Uh, you know, evangelicals and Christians, we've done an amazing job, a fantastic job of um, with Easter, it's one, you know, the CEOs, Christmas, Easter only. We've done a great job of, of celebrating the season of Christmas. And there's a growing renewal of, amongst charismatics to celebrate the day of Pentecost. But Easter tide is 50 days, 5-0, right? Like the rapper 50 cents, there's 50 days between the Resurrection Sunday and the day of Pentecost. 50 days from Resurrection Sunday to the day of Pentecost. And this has been celebrated and commemorated by Christians for hundreds of years, millions around the world. And what Easter Tide is all about is often overlooked. But listen, church, this is fundamental to the mission of Jesus in the history of the world in coming to terms of what does resurrection mean? What is resurrection life, which is our series, what is resurrection life really all about? And what renewal is? So what do we do in this 50-day period? In other words, let me ask you something. If you were Jesus and you just gave your life 33 years on this earth, you did three years of ministry, you gave your life, you were, uh, you were crucified on the cross, you were resurrected from the dead, and you want to have followers and disciples. What would you do if you were Jesus? How would you spend your time? Like, why didn't Jesus go to Rome and go to the gladiatorial arena like a gladiator and with his resurrected body that could never die? Right? And say, are you not entertained? And bring people. It's like, look, look at the miracle. I'm the power. I'm a powerful ruler. I'm the conquering king. I'm the greatest warrior there is. Why didn't Jesus uh, go and confront the Caesar of his day and go to a public forum and confront Pontius Pilate? And uh, it's like, hey, pff, Pilate, like, you got an identity crisis. You think you're the king? I'm the true king. You, you know, why don't you bend the knee and show everybody so all these hundreds and, 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 and thousands of people would recognize that I am the king. You know, in the 50 days that Jesus could have had massive spectacles of healing events and sold out arenas for evangelistic crusades, he could have rented out Aloha Stadium he could have gotten musical acts like Lecrae or U2 or Maverick City Music. He could have gotten Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez to reconcile and do worship together. Um, 
He could have uh, nights of healings and miracles where he would raise people from the dead, where one arm or one leg would grow, you know, that's uneven. It would grow and be even again. And, and Jesus could have had people, the lame walk and the blind see and thousands and thousands of people would proclaim their lordship of Jesus. But Jesus didn't do that during the Easter tide. Jesus didn't do any of those things. May I submit to you this morning that the time of Jesus spent after being vindicated and being resurrected in between his resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it reveals one of the most tender revelations of the heart of Jesus and what is important to Jesus and his movement. So here's our big takeaway this morning. Would you... Uh, type this in or write this down. The resurrected Jesus prioritized community through personal relationships. Let me say that again. The resurrected Jesus, he prioritized. He made it his premium. He, that was the main thing. What was the main thing? He prioritized community. And how did he prioritize community? through personal relationships. That's to say, church, that Jesus, he pursued people over programs. Jesus deliberately chose relationships over results. He intentionally wanted to know people's names, know their story, instead of casually counting people as numbers or statistics. Jesus, he intentionally loved his followers. He pursued relationships and he restored those who would carry out his mission in the world. So that's the main point. This is the main takeaway, guys, that the, during Easter tide, that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he prioritized, he made a premium of community. How did he do that? Through personal relationships. And in this road of Emmaus, I have three observations, all right? The first is this, that Jesus intentionally pursues those who were disappointed and they were disillusioned. Jesus, he could have done a million things. He could have had large gatherings and, and build his platform, his, his influence, his social media presence. But Jesus, he intentionally pursues those who are disappointed and disillusioned. And the question today is, where are you at? Is there a sense of disappointment and disillusionment, disillusionment of following Jesus? In verse 13, in Luke 24, it says this, that very day, what very day? The very day he was resurrected. According to Luke's gospel, this is the first thing that Luke uh, writes down and he records of his first interaction with people. That very day of his resurrection, two people were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That very day, he didn't have a crusade. He didn't go to the arena what did Jesus do? He talked to two people, two of his disciples who were disappointed and they, they were disillusioned. 
Where were they going? Why Emmaus? What's the significance? Seven miles, two people, he just resurrected, two people were walking, they're going to Emmaus. What's the significance of Emmaus? There's a historian and an author, his name is William Weir, and he narrates and he lists down 50 battles that changed the world. Okay? Um, Judah Maccabee, Judas Maccabee, uh, the, he writes down the Battle of Emmaus as the third most important battle in the history of the world. What happened was in this battle, Judah Maccabee, who was a Jewish um, kind of zealot and he was a leader, he, did a, he led a revolt against um, uh, the Roman law. Okay, And in this battle, he was, for, he was able to force new tactics, new tactics against his opponent. Gorgias. Gorgias has a, was a better commander and he had a bigger army. But Judas Maccabees, he used more complicated maneuvers and counter movements than before. The use of intelligence, ruse, night march, moral exhortation, um, consideration of the topical, topographical conditions, discipline, they were all used in the Battle of Emmaus. And the Syrian forces, they were defeated and retreated to the coastal plain in a, um, 165 BC in Rappaport. Now, this Maccabean revolt eventually led to the recovery of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, which is why to this day, okay, almost 2,000 years later, Jewish people, they celebrate Hanukkah. As Jesus, as these two men were walking, talking, they were going seven miles, they were going to Emmaus. So Jesus, he intentionally pursues two people who didn't understand his kingdom, his methodology, methodology and his mission, and he ministers to them in their point of need. Look at verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this things happened. Why Emmaus? They went back to the last place where a Messiah was victorious and he was successful in achieving victory in a way that the people wanted, where they got victory. And here comes Jesus. He does all these things. He performs all these miracles, turns water into wine, feeds thousands of people heals the sick, does all these miracles, and these people, they were disenchanted, disappointed, and they, are, they were disillusioned. And some of us here this morning, we're at this place of disappointment with Jesus. Like we said yes to Jesus so that God can change our situation. Yet maybe God is in your life not to change your situation but to change you your heart that your heart of impatience and the anxiety and stress that you would learn to trust him maybe you receive jesus to change your circumstance but maybe god is is in you to change your character and he will fill you with his holy spirit maybe you came to god because you thought that God would make you rich, that God would come and make you happy, maybe, but God has placed you 
in your life has entered in so that you could put your hope in Him and not in the fleeting emptiness of riches. Maybe you're disillusioned because you hope that God would heal a loved one. But God instead doesn't give you temporary healing, but He gives you permanent hope that one day through the resurrection of the dead for all of eternity you will have a heavenly reunion with your loved one see the people these two men they're on the way to Emmaus they're kind of going back they're kind of going back to the glory days of the mission of the last victorious messiah figure Judas of Maccabees and they mis misunderstood his mission and there's a misunderstanding of the gospel, which is no gospel at all, which is prosperity gospel, which means that there's this false teaching that you are the center of the universe, where Jesus, where the whole world revolves around you and your happiness, your health, your wealth, your winning at life. And Jesus, he plays a role that he is like this genie, this magical genie whose sole purpose is to bless you and keep you away from suffering and sickness and poverty. And maybe you suffer these things because you don't have enough faith. Hey, Jesus is at the center of the universe. Okay? You are not. Our sole existence here on earth is to love Him and give Him glory. We don't go to church to get a blessing. We go to church to be a blessing and to bless God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. All things were created through Him and for Him. Not for you, but for Jesus. Even Jesus even said, like, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Maybe some of us, are disenfranchised and we're disillusioned not so much with Christianity and following Jesus but maybe we're disillusioned about church listen to me very carefully the church is full of people flawed flawed people who are going to disappoint you because we're human beings Jesus is not the church. We are the church. And the church is not Jesus. And we're going to disappoint each other. If you've been injured, abused, or exploited, hear from the bottom of my heart and the authority of God's word that I'm so, truly, deeply sorry for what happened to you and the hurt and the woundedness that you've gone through as a result of people in the church. But, but we don't put our faith in people. We don't even put our faith in the church. We put our faith in Christ. God wants to heal you this morning so that you won't put your trust and your hope in people, but you put your trust and your hope in Him. Secondly, second observation is that the Scriptures are enough. Uh, you could also put on there that the Scriptures are sufficient. That not only is it sufficient, that it's enough, but I submit to you that it is abundant, that it is more than enough. You see, Jesus 
could have showed the miracles of his resurrected body when he was talking to them. All right. Look in verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus could have performed miracles, right? He could have done like, look at this, right? What happened? He could have, uh, like what he told Thomas, like, hey, put your hands in my pierced hands and on my side. He could have levitated. He could have done miracles to convince them that he was the Christ. But what did Jesus do? It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this very same Jesus, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, this is the one that was spoken of of the serpent in the very beginning, where he says to the serpent, you shall um, injure him at the heel, but he will crush you on your head. This is the same Christ that was prefigured to Noah in the flood. The Christ that was promised to Abraham. The Christ that was prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites. This is the same Christ that was guaranteed to Moses before he died. The Christ that was promised to David when he was king. The Christ that was revealed in Isaiah as a suffering servant. The Christ that was predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist who paved the way, who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why am I saying all this? Because the scriptures are enough. It is through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus foretold. What is foretold through the scripture, the shortest, most concise, um, pithy, concise statement of the gospel is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Christ died according to scripture for your sins. And you know what happened when Jesus didn't do all these miracles, didn't prove through spectacles? You know what happened? Look at verse 32. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It was through the scripture, biblical teaching, gospel-centered. Jesus Christ is the good news, preaching, proclamation, the Incarnation, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus explaining himself that he was the one that's been promised for. And as he talked to them, their hearts burned within them. How important is the sufficiency in Scripture? Let's turn about halfway through the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story about rich man and Lazarus. Now, this is not the Lazarus who died at Jesus. This is a story, okay? This is fictional, where Jesus tells a story. In Luke chapter 16, uh, the context of is this 
there's this rich man who trusted in his riches and he lived a life of luxury and extravagance and excess and opulence while Lazarus, he suffered, but he trusted God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what happened was now there's a chasm. Lazarus dies and the rich man dies. And the rich man realizes like, oh man, all these riches, I can't take it with me. I better warn my brothers that don't trust in riches, trust in God. All right. Then he said, which is the rich man. Okay. I beg you, Father, Luke 16, verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to the rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Verse 30. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. This is enough, the Word of God. The Word of God is profitable for correction, for reproof, for teaching, for living into godliness. It is enough. You know, oftentimes as a church, as a pastor, I'm like, man, if we only had our own place, if we only had our own facilities, our, like our own ministry centers, maybe we could have like a basketball court that could turn into a volleyball court and we could attract the young people to come, right? And maybe if we have a coffee shop where young adults can hang out, maybe if we have a merch shop, right? A, a store with our resources and people could hang out and the Gen Z would come and families would come. Maybe if we had like a video team with like super sick like, like videographers and photographers and we could blast it on social media and people would come and, and they would see how cool it is. And maybe if we had more influence or a bigger social media presence or maybe, you know what, man, if we just had a, a hula team or a halal team that could dance beautiful hula every week and point people to Jesus and they will be entertained or maybe, you know what, if we had a spoken word or a hip-hop special, if we had killer musicians, maybe if we just had crazy signs of wonders, right, when people would fall over on their seats and if people were raised from the dead, or maybe, man, if, if there were just this crazy miracles of maybe the blind seeing, right, or of maybe someone... You know, who's deaf, they could now hear and they, we could document that and it would go viral and then people would come to know Jesus. Maybe someone could just rise from the dead, then people would believe in the gospel. But what does Jesus say? You have the law, you have, the Mo, you have Moses, you have the prophets, and that is enough listen you guys i believe in hebrews eleven six that anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek after him in other words when you come to god you come to god as he is you seek him how do you know through his inspired 
word. You don't need a miracle for you to believe in the gospel. You don't need divine healing. We don't need bells and whistles and all the extra stuff. We have the word of God and it is enough. Jesus has appeared to you in scripture and his providence for your life and he's shown that it's true and he's given you what you need. And lastly, we'll close with this, that scripture plus relationship equals revelation. Scripture plus relationship equals revelation. Let's look at verse 25. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. You guys see that? That Jesus ministered to these two people. He didn't minister to thousands in a crusade, in an arena, but he ministered to these two people in their disappointment, in their disillusionment, right where they were at. He offers them fellowship. He gives them bread. He offers them relationship. Even when these guys did not believe and their belief was incomplete, he didn't wait for them to come to saving faith. Then he fellowshiped with them or complete understanding before offering fellowship. But he dined with them. He talked story with them. He ate with them. He walked with them seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And what caused their eyes to open to the truth of the gospel? I sound contradictory here when I said scripture is enough. But why were their hearts burning within them? There was the scripture and there was relationship. What happens when we put the word of God and we put incarnation we put ministry, life on life, heart to heart, family to family, doing life together, breaking bread, talking story, eating together, sharing hearts, sharing lives, scripture plus relationship. What happened? Because it, it doesn't say when Jesus opened to them, they're like, their hearts were burning. They were like moved. They were cut to the heart, like uh, Acts would say. But it wasn't until Jesus dined with them, broke bread with them, talked to them. Then they had a spirit of revelation. God revealed himself to them and their eyes were opened. Let me just observe here that it doesn't say they opened their eyes, but their eyes were opened. In other words, this is a passive tense verb, meaning that they didn't do it to themselves. Somebody had to do it to, to them and for them. That's grace, right? Grace is something that God does for you because you could not do it for yourself. So God opens their eyes after the word and after relationship, after fellowship, after community, and they experience revelation. And I love that because oftentimes, you know, like when, um, like when I come home after a long day of work and I go to the kids, it's like, hey, did you do your homework? Or when the kids wake up, it's like, hey, did you make your bed? Did you clean your room already? Instead of like, hey, how was your sleep? 
How did your day go? Tell me the most, ex- the most exciting part of your day, that relationship, right? And so I want to close with this. The, here's a QR code right now. Uh, we'll pl- put it up in the screen. It's for our small groups. So if you're watching this on your computer, you could go through it over your phone, over your camera. And I want us to pursue relationship. Jesus is pursuing you even in your disappointment and disillusionment. I encourage you, gather with the people of God where you process, where you practice. Sign up for small groups. Sign up for home groups. Starting May, we're only going to have one, one month, four weeks consecutively. I know June, it's summer, and everybody's going to go on vacation and staycation, but um, just for small steps, just for four weeks, commit yourself to a small group. Sign up online, whether you're interested in in-person, men, women, or Zoom, whatever it is, and we'll get you to a place where you could do life together. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning, oh God, and we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would live in community, oh Lord God. I pray, God, that we would uphold the truth of your scriptures, and even right now, we lay down our disappointments, our disillusionments, oh Lord, and I pray that you, you cover it with your grace. Lord, I pray that we would make the step to do life together, join a small group, grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Love you guys. Have an amazing week.